If you work in recruiting, you know that scaling and growing startup organizations is one of the most challenging things you can do in the space. And most people do that for one company at any given time. Imagine doing that across a portfolio of 20, 30, 40, 50 or more companies. That is the task charge with a venture capital head of talent. And I'm very excited in today's podcast to be joined by Redpoint Ventures head of talent, Amy Knapp. She's been in that seat for over five years. We're going to talk about how the role of that particular position impacts portfolio companies, how the nature of the field of HR and the people function within those companies has evolved over the last five years, and really spend some time talking about the profile of a modern head of people and what those types of startups are looking for when they're bringing in a CPO, CHRO, or head of people to drive those efforts. So we'll be right back with that conversation after a brief word from our sponsor. 21st Century HR is a podcast exploring how to build better businesses through modern people practices and approaches. It's brought to you by my firm, Amplify. Amplify provides HR executive search and strategic consulting services that help companies build better organizations. From employer brand development and execution to global talent strategies, Amplify develops custom solutions that help clients from Hootsuite to SpaceX optimize their recruiting capabilities. Amplify also hosts a new community for HR leaders called The Ecosystem. The Ecosystem was designed to bring modern HR leaders around the world together to share ideas, inspiration, and support. Learn more at AmplifyTalent.com. Hey everyone, welcome to 21st Century HR Podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt, and I am thrilled to be joined today by Redpoint Ventures Head of Talent, Amy Knapp. Amy and I are going to cover a range of topics related to what it's like to build a startup today and how the role of a modern chief people officer, particularly in the tech and startup world, has evolved. So Amy, why don't you give the listeners just a brief introduction on you and we'll dig in. Great. Thank you, Lars, for having me on the show. It's really great to be here and um, I appreciate it. So as you mentioned, I am the head of talent at Redpoint Ventures. I've been here for about five years now. And Redpoint, for those of you who do, don't know, uh, invests in both early stage companies as well as later stage growth companies. So we'll get into companies when they're raising their first round of institutional funding, right around that Series A, about 20 people, maybe 30 or so. They need to all of a sudden double in size when they get that funding. And, um, and my job is to go in and really work with the founding teams on helping them think through how do they how do they grow their teams based on their headcount plans, what resources they need, how do they build that internal competency around like recruiting people, keeping their people, rewarding their people, retaining their people, all of that good stuff that makes up a really great employee experience. And so I go in and, and work a lot with them hands-on or do more programmatic and uh, workshops and events to help them on a, on a larger scale. Uh, and then of course we have a later stage growth portfolio with those, those companies are much larger. So they usually have a talent team. And my the, the context of how I work with those companies might be different with just thinking through what are other companies doing at that stage for systems or benefits or um, you know, scalability issues. And so it might be more benchmarking or getting key leadership positions on their, um, uh, on our radar so we can see how we can be helpful with getting candidates introduced to them. And, uh, and I love it. I've been here for five years. Prior to that, I was always in-house at companies running talent acquisition or parts of HR. So it was a really great way to leverage my background and experience to help these companies at an early stage. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about that transition, kind of going from an in-house role where you have one 
one organization, one uh, set of problems, one set of challenges, one set of uh, complexities that you have to work with. And now you're in an environment where you're you're kind of doing that on a multiple level. You're doing that uh, at scale at, with different industries, different locations, different founding teams, uh, all kinds of different complexity. What was that adjustment like for you when you kind of moved from focusing on one thing to focusing on a portfolio of things? Yeah, good question. I uh, it was it was a really exciting journey for me to take this. This was a greenfield opportunity. Redpoint had never had a head of talent before, so I looked at it, that as being such an ex exciting you know transition for me to be able to use my background experience of being a first recruiter in, seeing a company go public, being at something of scale like Google, and to be able to help these founders at an early stage. And I said, I'll give it a year and we'll see if it, if it works out or not. Um, if not, I figure I could probably go back into a company. Um, and when I, when I came, and I really liked the partnership, they were all like, hey, we don't want you to recruit for our companies, but because that won't scale, but we do want you to help them be better at it. And any way you figure out how to do that is up to you. So I was ready to go, but it was a weird transition, if I'm being candid. Right. It was, um, you know, when you're at in-house at a company, especially leading talent acquisition, you have very clear defined goals, right? You know what your headcount plan is, you know how you're doing against those goals, and you know where you you aren't and you need to, to do things that will um, help you meet those goals. In this type of role, there, there's no real defined success measures or um, goals that are set for you, and you have... You don't also have a CEO in charge of uh, the company. You have 10. You know, I have 10 managing directors at, at the firm, and uh, and they're all great, and there's a very consistent message. But I think coming into the role, they, they didn't totally know what to do with me. You know, it was like, hey, this is a new role, and you figure it out, and we have a portfolio of 70 companies, and, you know, how you work with them, and, and you know, I'm sure you'll figure it out after you meet them and, and so forth. So it was a lot of... Um, uh, there was a period of uncomfortableness because I was like, I, I'm used to being measured. I'm used to having some defined goals and knowing how I'm doing against that. And, and here, I'm not placing people at companies, so I can't get measured at placements or hires I'm making. Um, it's very qualitative on how I'm doing or the feedback that's coming back from founders. Over the years, we've really have ha, have had conversations about how do you we measure talent here and and you know how do we put the right set of goals in and is it introductions is it you know having these big projects that we get feedback on and what i've learned over the past five years is that the one measurement that my partners really care about is founder feedback and so if i can go into a subset of the companies we have in our portfolio that are new or high impact for the portfolio and I can understand what their talent needs are if I figure out how I can best support them with those needs and and hopefully I'm going to be you know getting really great feedback on that and my founders will hear in the board meeting that Amy is doing you know really well and that's great but it took a while to get to that level of comfort you know being measured that way versus having a very you know quantitative uh, set of metrics and goals and and so that was a little um, that right there was very uncomfortable. And then this role was was fairly new in the in the VC space. There's been some people that have had this role for years, you know, like 15, 20 years at cer certain firms. Uh, when I joined, I was also became um, a member of this VC talent Google group that we all, you know, all of our peers set um, help one another and communicate with each other. And I was about the 30 or 35th person in there. Now it's well over about 300 people in there. So mm -hmm. it has grown a ton. But at the time, it was really like, 
I'm a lone person in this island and I have no idea what I'm doing. And, you know, is there anybody out there to help me? And um, luckily we do have this group because it's, it's a really great peer set of people, you know, teaching each other, helping each other out and just, you know, helping people not, you know, talk them off the ledge about like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And my partners have no idea what I should be doing either. And my companies all want, you know, all want hires to be made and I can't do that. So what do I do? And so it's a, it's definitely different from being in a company. Sometimes people are, think it's a lot of glamor, you know, being on the VC side, but there is still, you have to grind it out and you have to really be okay with ambiguity and not really understanding how you're doing and not getting a lot of feedback. And, and so it was definitely a big transition. It was, it's such a unique position to kind of be in a role like that where you, you don't, you're not, you're not really part of an HR team. You're not really part of a recruiting team. You're not really measured in the same way that traditional recruiting or even, you know, talent management uh, leaders are. So I imagine it's got to be quite lonely. So I think having those, those support kind of groups and networks you can plug into uh, who kind of understand the unique complexities of that role has got to be helpful. It was huge, hugely helpful. I mean, I, I suggest to anybody in any position really to have your peer set and have people in you know your your village, your community that you can uh, continuously learn from and, and knowledge share with. But like, if I didn't have that, it would be it would be really hard to get going in this type of position because there aren't a lot of people that are in a similar role where they can completely understand the nuances of working with a partnership as well as a portfolio company and how do you balance all of the needs that, that do come your way. And, and, um, and so, yeah, super grateful for that. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the, the broader landscape, uh, for a moment. So you, you know, I know you've been at Redpoint for five years, you've worked with uh, a range of companies from, you know, series A companies just starting off to more mature growth companies that have been in the portfolio for a little while. What are some of the biggest changes you've seen kind of in the startup talent practice space over the last five years? Yeah, um, a couple of things. I think the biggest I've seen is that there's a lot more focus around talent and HR leaders being brought into companies earlier than before. And I'd be curious to hear if you if you've been seeing that as well. But I, I've been seeing founders and my investor team. You know, investors are really supportive in bringing in either a strong people leader or perhaps a business operation leader to be more of a, a strategic partner on how do we grow our company in the right way when it comes to our talent and our people programs. I mean, if you think about it. H, it's it's pretty amazing to be in HR right now. You know, yeah. I mean, outside of the CEO, they end up being the person who really has the most broad view of the company and their eyes on every single area of the company. You know, they need to be that analytical business leader and they also have to coach people and create a safe workspace where vulnerability and trust is built and people feel valued and goals are being met and people are communicating with one another and offices are big enough and events are going off. And it's hard, you know, it's a really hard... Um, position. And I think it's really smart for CEOs to bring in a people, people leader earlier than they may have uh, historically done it, you know, to build the company right beside them right from the beginning. But our partners definitely encourage uh, founders to think about that higher earlier than I think used to, which I think is a, a huge shift happening. Um, I mean, if you think about it too, the best companies are built by by founders and teams that are very intentional on how, how to do that with a, with a business plan and, and a product roadmap and, and so forth. And you have to approach your talent and people strategy the same way, like being very intentional. So to have somebody there early on as your thought partner during those early foundational stages of a company is really smart. Um, and I guess just on more broadly speaking, and you, you probably have seen this too, is that there's just so many more products and companies out there in the HR tech landscape, you know, with just 
HRSs and payroll and benefits yeah. and recruiting, but then also sourcing and AI and assessment and performance and engagement. It's it's so saturated right now, which I think is um, in response to like the appetite of you know dealing with talent and people programs or issues or any uh, you know um, goals that companies have. They're uh, they're answering that need, and and it's which I think is pretty amazing that there's just so much going on. Yeah, out well, there. I think uh, I saw a stat last year that there was uh, over twenty four thousand different HR tech vendors. And I believe it was a oh billion gosh. dollars invested in the HR tech space in 2018. So I mean, the market's insane. And I think you, you touched on a really interesting point around the, the importance and frankly, the complexity of uh, a CPO or chief people officer, head of people, whatever the title might be today. And I think next to the CEO and perhaps not that far distant from it, it's probably one of the most complex roles in the executive leadership team because you all the things you mentioned in terms of scope of responsibilities are there but with that as well you have to really have the this level of business acumen of understanding the marketing plan understanding the strategy understanding yep. the finances of the organization right you you almost have to be able to kind of step into that role of of peers on the on the executive team to understand how their operations run and then deal with every facet of the employee experience and that is that is a massive scope, uh, and I think That's much huge. deeper than, yeah. than even a lot of the the peers on the executive team. Um, I'm curious to get your take. You know, one of the things that when I look at a lot of startups that scale, in particular, I think in the space where you spend a lot of time, the kind of Series A space, as you're evolving, you know, from that to B, oftentimes uh, you're kind of you hit that point where you're in hyper growth mode, and you you grow many times. You know, you're recruiting people externally, but you're also you have an accelerated internal development path for your teams because you're just growing rapidly and like cool you're brought in as an individual contributor guess what now you're a manager guess what now you're a director and you're 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 on this accelerated <laughs> developmental path um, from a, a career trajectory standpoint in a much faster way than you might be in traditional organizations and um, great from a career development standpoint on the employee I think the challenge a lot of companies have is they're not at the same time kind of coupling that with any kind of manager training, leadership development. They're not giving those people the tools to be successful people managers. They're just saying, figure it out. We're moving fast. You are a great individual contributor. This is the next thing for you. And I see a lot of organizations that they've, they've grown that way and then they hit to a critical mass. They're you know over 100, over 200, over 300. And they have a lot of managers who have never managed and have never been trained on managing yeah. and that creates issues. So I'm curious to get your take. Like, do you see that a lot? And are you seeing any steps that companies are taking to try to address that earlier on? Yeah, that's, that's a really great um, topic because I do see it happening a lot where founders will come to me and, you know, over time of building relationship with them and getting to know them, they'll, they'll come straight to me um, about anything really, you know, and see how I can be helpful. But uh, it started about a year and a half or two years ago where I, I started seeing a trend of uh, multiple people coming back and saying, Amy, like all the recruiting stuff you do for us is really great, but I'm, I'm here now with this employee that has been here since day one and is super critical to the company. And we're, we're really excited that they're still here, but now, you know, he's managing five people and he hasn't, he's never managed before and he has no idea what to do. And, you know, I really don't know how to, get him, you know, to uh, the point where he's successful at managing, like, can you help? And that just started happening over and over again. And so it is, it's a big issue. And I think that that happens a ton at companies, like you said, and it's such a critical part of why people join or, or stay and, and, and leave a company. So 
the fact that they're they're starting to think about this earlier and recognizing that there's a gap there and and trying to figure out what to do is really good. Um, I have seen companies at a really early stage partner with external resources, like certain consultants or like Life Labs learn, Learning, to come in and teach their employees. Um, but a lot don't have that opportunity, you know, or, or don't maybe they only have one person too, so they don't have that opportunity to 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 do that. And so, you know, first we see if they can leverage, you know, anybody on their internal team. Hopefully, they they might have some other seasoned leaders who can coach or mentor new managers, or even have advisors in their network who can come in to to help. Um, what we've been doing for our portfolio companies starting about two years ago is working uh, with an external consultant to come in and, and I lead, I facilitate these with her, um, but it's her workshop. Um, and uh, really to have a manager training workshops for employees within a number of portfolio companies on the basics of manager training. And, and it, it's ended up being multifold, I guess. It brings together a peer set of folks from companies across our portfolio, which we constantly think about trying to do more of. So it, it builds this community. And um, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of power in community and, and strength. And, and so if we get them meeting each other, then they can, you know, go ahead and, and help each other ongoing with the relationships that they're building. So it gets these peer sets within the Redpoint portfolio meeting each other. And it also helps this group get a tool set that they haven't had yet, and they can take back into their companies. And so that is one of the areas that on a kind of on a whim on my own, I figure, you know, what? instead of doing so much recruiting and interview training, like I've been doing, I'm just going to do something with manager training now and, and see how it takes off. And that's been the one thing um, in the past two years that has gotten the most um, uh, just strong feedback from our founders that we provide this for them. Um, it doesn't scale very much because it's only about like 25 or 35 people in it. But, uh, but for now, like that's how we're doing. Um, that's how we're trying to help our, our portfolio companies. But um, it is that's another shift I'm seeing because I think historically some early stage founders and, and leaders have thought like, oh, we're too small or we're too early to have a bunch of processes around development or manager training or people programs. You know, I don't want to be like too corporate. And I mean, that's something I totally disagree on. I don't think a company's ever too small right. to think that. But and and to see the appetite from founders, you know, or the questions that are coming up uh, at these early stage companies that I think more are agreeing with me that it, they don't think that way anymore. And and I mean, you don't need to do anything that is a huge, big, robust program. It could be really lightweight, but even the fact that you're focusing on things like development of your people um, will di differentiate you from other companies at that early stage. And, and it also shows employees that you care and that you're invested in them and their growth. Um, so I think if, if people can help, if companies can help managers get the tools like around helping them think through like, how do you run a one-on-one? Um, what are, how do you set goals with your employees? How do you give feedback? I mean, that, that's a huge one that can be a whole workshop in itself. You know, how do you motivate others? How do you hire and build a team, uh, communication with your team as well as, you know, cross, uh, cross functional. I think all of those areas, like really it's never too early to help develop your people in those areas, especially your people managers. And, and I, I, I'm definitely seeing it happen a lot earlier too. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit more about kind of the, the profile. Of, of a CPO or a head of people today, like you've you were working uh, with a range of executive teams and boards, uh, helping them oftentimes kind of bring in their first chief people officer. So, what are they typically looking for? What does that profile look like when you're kind of going to market to bring in a first time head of people for one of your portfolio companies? Yeah, that's the million dollar question. I'm, I'm curious if you agree, because I know you do searches in, in this area, but um, I think when you ask a CEO or a founder, like, what's the right profile, you, you'll, you'll get different 
questions um, from them. And yeah. so I think like the role for a very first at, at an early company for a first head of people, um, whatever level that looks like could differ. And I think it's still being defined. But um, at an early company, it's there's such a strong emphasis on growth and building and and hiring, you know, that that typically founders need somebody who's going to be able to recruit people and then start building out some of these early foundational people programs, starting with like maybe development, performance, you know, and feedback. Um, and, and so they need somebody, so they're typically looking for somebody that has enough experience, who knows what they're doing with developing employees or recruiting people or um, giving feedback and putting those things in place, but who also still is at the stage in their career where they're going to be very tactical and hands-on doing it. And it's a hard right. position to fill with that type of person because you, you need to have somebody, it's, it's, you need to answer the question, do I hire somebody that's a very seasoned HR exec? Who says that they want to get back into being really early and and um, you know having that blend of strategic and tactical probably more on the tactical side at that stage or do I get an up and comer who's been part of the, a team but maybe hasn't been the top person yet um, and then you also have to think through the nuance of coming into a company as the sole people person probably uh, or part of this you know really early team how are you able to do that when you don't have anything yet built and you're the one that has to build it so if they haven't done that before it's it, it could be a challenge for some people not that they couldn't do it but you just don't have any historical uh you know data to go on to see if they have done it before so it's it's a really difficult position to to fill and um and to find but uh, but they they really do look at that stage really it's all about growth and build so it's really looking for i, I have seen more people coming in with um uh, like an up and comer person and bringing in as a, as a director level or head of, you know, uh, and, and having them have that opportunity to at least leverage their previous experience and, and to figure out how to, you know, they're still in the mode where they can be very hands on and, and uh, in the weeds with everything. And then, um, and then they can continue to grow. And some founders will think that they'll just hire over them a true people executive when they get to a certain uh, scale, if this person hasn't grown, isn't able to hasn't grown into that. Um, so I, so I see that on the early stage, later stage companies, growth companies, it's it's really like they probably need to either up-level a person or hire over someone, like I just said, and it's all about scale at that point. Can they be that strategic leader uh, and level up the programs that they've put into the place at, at that earlier foundational stage and help the companies get to that next level? So they're looking for somebody who's creative, who's not just gonna come in and do the status quo with the traditional HR programs, but they can they be innovative and strong at building, you know, an employee brand, maybe career pathing, you know, executive, uh, the leadership, you know, executive leadership, uh, organizational development, um, can they potentially get us ready for an IPO if that's where we're going? Uh, so it definitely depends on the stage of company and what's in the roadmap for growth. Um, but you know what I'm seeing a lot more, and I'm curious if you're seeing this too, is that many founders have asked for this hire to uh, potentially not come from a traditional HR background. And um, they'd rather see this person come from uh, another part of the business, you know, to have that different perspective, to have the business acumen, uh, to have that business-minded leader who will bring with them that uh, different perspectives and a lens that will really understand what people programs will resonate with the rest of the company, how to best, you know, operationalize all of that, learn how to anticipate needs from different areas of the business, and then build the right size programs on top of that. And, and of course, probably hire a team under them of people who do come from, you know, an HR talent background. Um, but I'm seeing that come up a lot more too. 
Yeah, I think that the, I definitely uh, agree with everything you said. I see that ladder profile of somebody transitioning into the field from other areas of the business, um, oftentimes more at a, a company of a certain size, right? So they're at a bit of a more mature stage where they already have some of the infrastructure and process in place. They're not in, in kind of tasked with building it all from the ground up. Um, and so then that person can kind of come in and, and provide a different perspective on really the, the priorities and, and the people priorities as they align to the business. And I think if you right. look across the, the market right now, I mean, you know, name you know, a couple high profile CPOs or CHROs that, uh, that come to mind. And most of them haven't worked in HR for more than you know, five or 10 years. They've, they've transitioned into the role and they've been very successful with it. So I think right. getting back to the earlier stage, uh, what you mentioned is exactly what I'm seeing where I think companies struggle with do you find that up and coming profile that is still very hands-on uh, and tactical and can execute and can recruit and very comfortable being uh, in the weeds, perhaps still kind of developing their strategy muscle, um, but they're able to come in and just crank and, and get shit done for you? Or a more seasoned operator who has more of the, the vision, can work kind of more at the strategic level uh, of, of, the, of kind of the work, but you know, maybe hasn't been as hands-on and maybe isn't as comfortable continuing to be hands-on. So it's two different kind of profiles right. that I think depending on the priorities of the business, um, the, you know, the, the, that's going to determine what profile is going to best fit. I agree. Yeah. And it's, um, I just think it's, it's been, I think, not that I think recruiting any role is easy, but I think this is just definitely one of the harder roles to, to recruit for these days. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much more nuance. Yeah. than there's ever been because the profile is very different. And I think that the the complexity of best in class and modern and transformative HR that you know most companies, particularly tech and startup companies, want to build and want to emulate that they see other companies doing, like that's not an easy undertaking. That's right. a lot of work that goes into building that. So um, I want to shift gears for a moment and kind of get into an initiative that you co-created a couple of years back called OpenREC. And, and I was intrigued by this because I think when you think recruiting and you think Silicon Valley and tech, uh, you know, things that come to mind are hyper competitive, right? Uh, especially in the tech space and between startups, there's there's so much uh, you know fluidity and movement between startups that uh, companies are highly competitive for talent, highly proprietary around their kind of recruiting practices and what they might see as competitive advantages. You know, yet you managed to bring three VC firms together to kind of co-create this event. So tell me a little bit more about that. How did, how did OpenREC come together? How did you manage to kind of, uh, you know, set aside uh, BS notions of the war for talent and actually collaborate on something? Yeah, that's, uh, thanks for bringing that up because OpenREC has been such a, uh, an amazing thing to be a part of. And it, uh, it the genesis of it all was uh, back in a little pub in Menlo Park called the Dutch Goose. And I was there with my dear friend, um, Luke Beseda, who is uh, who has a similar role to mine, but at Lightspeed. And, and he and I were sharing, we had both joined our roles very close together. So we kind of have been growing up in this role together and, and, and helping one another out. And it's been great. And so we were sharing that, you know, there's, um, there's so much great 
talent and talent in the Bay Area. And we're always in our roles, we are constantly, you know, working with these great talent leaders, you know, founders for sure, but also these talent leaders on helping, you know, sharing insight, we're knowledge, guidance um, with both founders and talent leaders. But many times it's, it's also us learning from these, from these folks too, on like how they're approaching certain things when it comes to talent and recruiting. And, um, and with all this amazing talent, all these amazing talent leaders who are incredibly open and supportive of each other and are willing to help, uh, we figured, well, why don't we create a, a platform and a space to bring them together to knowledge share with one another directly and go over all of these, the common questions and topics that we get thrown at all the time. Like, let's have it be a shared experience for everyone to learn from each other. And so Luke and I were right away like down for doing this together. We knew that having a, a really large brand name VC as well involved would, would be great, you know, first, you know, rolling this out. So we pitched it to our friend Brett at Sequoia and then they came on as well. And, and it, it has been a really great experience because some people don't realize that the like the talent, as I mentioned before, there's a really great community and peer set around that val VC talent community. It's really strong. It's really collaborative, but there, there's so many co-investments being made from these firms that like, we all have the same goal, you know, we want to help these companies grow and succeed. It's not about like, oh, Redpoint did this, and I'm going to close my arms around everything I'm doing for this company. If Lightspeed is also a co investor, like we should be collaborating, working together to help this company any way that we can. And, um, and so it makes sense that we're able to partner with one another in this type of format. So it's, uh, it's been a really great experience. Three years ago, we, we did our first, uh, it was an unconference format, and we had multiple topics, uh, people leaders coming and, and talking about and moderating uh, a, a smaller session of, uh, of talent leaders there. And we had about 110 people. The second year, we had about 175 people. And then last year, we had 235 people come. And um, this year, we're doing a little bit of a different model with smaller sessions uh, and more intimate gatherings and groups. But it's, uh, I definitely have met a ton of great talent leaders uh, through that. I've learned a lot. And I think it's, um, it just does go to show that like, it's not all this competition, I need to win versus Lightspeed or Sequoia. I mean, of course, if you ask my partners, they'll probably say, hey, we want to win this deal. But with this aspect from, the, from this context, it's if we can collaborate with one another and help our companies be more successful, everybody wins. So we're happy to do it. Yeah. And so is that open for uh, any talent leader to attend? And where can people, where can listeners uh, find out more about it? Yeah. So the, the URL is openrecsf for sanfrancisco.com. Um, and, and it is, it is uh, uh, right now, if you, you, if you go there, it still has information for last year's big summit because we didn't do a big one again this year. But um, all the uh, community and all the event um, information would be there. And they can certainly, uh, it, it typically is an invite only, but it's usually a, there is a place for um, people to request an invite once we do have any of these events going on. Um, they can certainly just reach out to me my, on my LinkedIn and we can talk about OpenRec and I can keep them up to date. But if they join, if there is a button there that says to join, they will be then on the mailing list of any um, future upcoming events that are coming up. Got it. Cool. And one thing I'm curious about, you know, you, you're in this kind of interesting position where you are a, uh, a talent advisor for both your, you know, internal stakeholders within Redpoint and then obviously, uh, you know, heads of all of your portfolio companies and executives and board members. And people are looking to you for answers and guidance around all things talent. So how do you kind of stay on top of emerging trends and, and practices and news so that you can make sure you're able to, to bring that information 
to all of your different stakeholders and constituents? Yeah, good question. Because I, I think that's it's probably really hard for everybody, you know, because I think everyone is so focused on their roles with their heads down, trying to, you know, make the wins, meet the goals, fill the roles, make money all. And all of a sudden, you know, you're looking up and you're realizing that I'm not learning anything new or keeping up with what's going on around me. And, and, um, and it's really important to do so. So I, I have to be really intentional about like how I think about my own development and, uh, there are a certain number of events that I'll go to. Um, you know, I usually try to go like one large event a year or, and then a number of smaller ones. If I'm, you know, I live outside Boston and I work, you know, in, I'm in San Francisco a lot. So either of those locations, I keep an eye on like what, what talent leaders, uh, are, are, are there that I can keep connected with and have regular meetings or on one-on-ones with and learn like what's on your mind right now, what's on your plate, how are things going? So I continuously learn how companies and these really great talent leaders are doing things, but also see the events in the area that um, I might go to. Um, I'm also a member of a, a, an HR advisory group called People Tech Partners, which has been instrumental in my learning and, and hearing just what other companies and people leaders are doing. Um, that, that has been huge, you know, for this past year that I've been involved with that. Um, but, and then I have, I have a lot of really great talent and people leaders within our portfolio too. So anytime that I can collaborate on them on an event or a workshop or just like getting together and hearing about like what, what they're working on or how they did that. And, um, and so that, that's what I do. I mean, it sounds like it's a lot, but if I, I can, if I can, you know, try to go to an event, you know, once every six weeks or so, and then I also keep my meetings and communication with, uh, with folks when I'm in San Francisco, I have a whole subset of meetings with my talent leaders or, or folks that, um, that I just really respect and want to be like. And, and so I'll constantly try to learn from them. And, and, um, it's, and I, you know, try to give back to if there's ever anything I can help share, you know, I'll, I'll, con I'll take those meetings as well, because I think we're in this continuous cycle of, of learning and, and helping each other grow in this field and it validates our roles more, the more that we can help each other do that. And so that's how I've been able to do it. I'm also a member of, you know, SHRM and World at Work as well. And, and so I'll keep up to date with some literature that gets sent out. But I think, you know, just the, the individual meetings, the events and um, some of the advisor groups I'm a part of have been super helpful for me to stay on top of what's going on. And I think as you mentioned groups like People Tech Partners, I recently joined as well and I found it uh, incredibly helpful in the level of, of discourse and dialogue uh, and openness is just so refreshing. Yeah. And to me, I think that's one of the things that really uh, is a is representative of 21st century HR. You know, the legacy of HR is much more siloed. It's much more kind of walled off. People didn't necessarily talk and collaborate in the same way. And you know, now not only is the field more complex, but I think that the the HR leaders that are really kind of operating at the vanguard of the field are much more open to talk about what they're learning, uh, what they're what they're struggling with, what where they're failing, where they're finding success. And um, that level of, of openness and discourse, I think, propels everybody forward. So it's uh, it's definitely an interesting kind of ecosystem to be to be a part of. Um, for you, you know, how would you define 21st century HR? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think it, it continues to be, you know, transparent global or at least, you know, widespread or distributed. You know, I think what I'm, I'm seeing that we have to be supportive of how do we hire the, the best talent and keep the talent no matter where they are and being flexible around figuring out how to do that. 
Um, it's all about being transformative and then building connections, you know, internally and externally, just we're the connective tissue, I think. And so how do we continue, you know, building the right connections internally and, and help others build the right connections um, is really, uh, and then there's this whole notion that I love about continuous learning and yeah. we're, we're at the forefront of that. Very cool. Well, uh, Amy, I've, I've had a blast kind of going into all of this with you. The last question for you is when you think about, uh, obviously you've got a, a broad and diverse network of, of peers and HR executives uh, that you kind of learn from and collaborate with. Who in the space inspires you? Who do you, who do you kind of look to for uh, you know, inspiration around what this field can be and, and, and who really do you think is making a, a massive mark on the space? Yeah, great question. Cause there's so many really interesting people out there um, doing uh, innovative things or talking about it. And uh, we have so many wonderful people leaders within the Redpoint portfolio and just a few that come to mind that I get inspired by, you know, they're at the head of people at Stripe, Maya, she comes, you know, doesn't come from that HR background either. She's super smart and analytical. So I like, um, I like what she puts out there. Uh, Lindsay Granowalt from Cockroach Labs in New York is somebody that I've uh, interviewed at different uh, events and, and what uh, sh she's doing at an early stage company from a people perspective is really interesting. And then um, outside of our portfolio, I mean, I think everybody probably says this, but Katie Burke, you know, especially being here in Boston, yeah. uh, she's, I've learned a ton from her. And then Beth Steinberg as well from, um, you know, Bright Roll Days and Zenefits, she and her own consulting, she's been really helpful uh, to me as I'm, I'm learning more things things in the HR space. Yeah. And the, the interesting thing too, uh, and, and I, I echo your thoughts on, on all of them. I think uh, offhand, I think all of them actually have also come into HR from other areas, haven't necessarily always been uh, in HR, which again, I think is, uh, is representative of what yeah. we're seeing more often. <laughs> right. <laughs> so maybe there's something to I, that. <laughs> I think that's, it might be a success. I don't know. Uh, we'll have to, we'll have to get some more analysis, but uh, certainly from my, uh, from where I've sat, you know, I, I've seen that. One of the interesting things that even the, uh, Last year, we, we did a future of work survey with HR Open Source, and one of the questions we asked was uh, if you've worked in fields outside of HR and recruiting, and 70% uh, of respondents had. And wow. I found that just fascinating and also super exciting because I think when you, when you look at the kind of influx of different disciplines and skill sets and perspectives that that starts to infuse in the function, that's going to have a massive impact. And I think that's going to help, again, accelerate this shift from, from legacy HR to, to 21st century HR. I agree. Yeah. Wow, that is really fascinating. Cool. Well, Amy, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time and uh, I learned a lot. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me and have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to this episode of 21st Century HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this or read stories from the 21st Century HR Fast Company series, go to 21stCenturyHR.com. And if you want to make your podcast just a little more awesome, be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or whatever podcast platform your ears desire. You'll find all the subscribe links on the website. And if you enjoy the podcast, do me a favor and share it with your peers, your network, your boss, and your CEO. Help me get the podcast into the ears of anyone who wants to know what HR and recruiting looks like when done really well. They'll thank you for it, and so will I. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next episode.